Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to episode number 27 of the Still City Insider podcast, along with me, Jeremy Ritz, one of your hosts, and the Jim Wexel. And today we have Shane Hallam with us today, the draft expert for the Still City Insider. Jim and Shane, how are you both doing today? Good, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm doing good. We're almost at the draft, so I'm excited. This is my time. I, I love it. There we go. It's April 14th. We were only 14 days away from round one and that selection at number 20. And we're going to talk all things draft today with Shane. But before we do so, we want to take a moment and offer our condolences and deepest sympathies to the Haskins family. What a tragedy that occurred over the weekend. Um, Jim and Shane, your thoughts. You have any thoughts, Shane? I mean, I, I'm an Ohio State alumni, you know, um, so I, I followed Dwayne Haskins as a player uh, in college. And, you know, I think on the field, off the field, what he did for the Ohio State program was huge, too. I think that's been a rallying cry. They wouldn't be where they're at now without his success there. Um, so, I, you know, I think it, obviously the NFL, the Washington situation was tough for him, uh, but you know, I think he was he was making his way in Pittsburgh, and it's def- definitely a tragedy. I was uh, I was taken by surprise when it happened, and um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, definitely will always be a Buckeye quarterback that I'll remember forever. I, I don't have any any similar uh, thoughts. I, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. I never met him. Um, that's one of the problems we had with not getting in the locker room. I. I, I I usually write a column about uh, somebody when something happens like that, but I never met him. I, I know a couple guys um, tweeted that he was nice on a a, um, a Zoom call once, and I, I remember Kaboli got blasted by somebody for saying, hey, "Way to inject yourself into this. Way to make this about yourself." I, I do think it, it's it's um, it's up to the writers that cover him to write something and there's been nothing except one national writer wrote about an emotional interview she had with him and how he tried to hug her after that was the only time they met and she formed her opinion off that and I um you know it just wasn't enough we needed we needed uh we needed to meet this guy and, and it's you know I don't want to make this about myself but I believe locker rooms have to be open. Uh, I, I can understand why the NFL um, wants total control over media and wants to make it like college. I um, I couldn't cover college football. I I couldn't. Uh, uh, but the NFL is uh, for men, and um, I, I would have liked to have gotten to know the young guy. You know, my father was killed on the side of the road when he was 22 or 23, I don't even know. Uh, I was an infant and uh, he was walking his dog in the morning. And so it's similar. And uh, you know, I, I, I feel bad that Haskins didn't, I don't believe he had a child. And uh, so uh, people would think that would make it uh, worse, but uh, uh, you know, I was never affected that I knew of by the death of my father, people, people bring it up and tell me they're sorry. And I knew nothing about it. And my mother led me to safety and, uh, 
I've grown into a man who uh, sputters and bladders on your uh, your podcast. But I, I do think uh, the point I'm trying to make is they need to open the locker room so we get to know people. Switching gears, we're going to jump into NFL draft talk. Shane is the expert. And Shane, uh, you have a wealth of knowledge. We're going to jump in here looking at round one, pick 20, and um, kind of work from there. But where do you see uh, the Steelers' draft strategy? How will they approach this draft? A lot of talk about the homework they're doing at the quarterback position. You hear another camp um, saying that it's going to be defensive lineman. What's the overall strategy you see here with the Steelers in terms of the NFL draft? I think the Steelers often go in with a similar strategy into the draft where there are certain positions that they want to to build and fill and find players that fit the team and fit the scheme and really focus in on them and who's available when they pick. They usually pick that player. Uh, you know, every once in a while we've seen them move up when they've really liked a guy like a Devin Bush or a Troy Polamalu. Um, so I think this is going to be a draft where you know, I think the QB work that they've done is is obviously um, the direction that they're heading if things fall the way that they, they should or probably expect them to. So I, I I would fully expect them to take a quarterback at twenty, um, depending on how, what teams above them do. I I don't foresee a, a trade up in a situation a. If there's one quarterback you really like picking a 20, you're going to have to move way up to make sure you get them. And I, I just don't see that being too viable at this point. Um, and and I think there's enough. You know, there's enough QBs in this draft. We know all the guys that they're looking at. Uh, they brought in the, the top six for visits. Uh, if they like three, four of them enough, one of them is going to be there at 20. So I, I think that's probably the piece, unless some real value falls to them on the defensive line. Um, or, you know, maybe Trevor Penning, the Northern Iowa offensive tackle, or Derek Stingley, the, the LSU corner, right? If there's some value that you can't pass up, then maybe you pull that trigger and you look at a Carson Strong from Nevada in round two, round three. Um, so I think there is still a little more flexibility, perhaps, but I would still say the most likely situation is we see a quarterback, you know, new franchise quarterback going to the Pittsburgh Steelers at 20. So speaking of quarterback, and if you look at the the top five with your Willis, Pickett, Corral, Ritter, and Howell, how would you rank those guys? And who do you see available at 20 that you feel from your analysis and perspective that they should take? I, I think for for me personally, often differs from what will happen in the draft, right? And what teams will do. Like I really like Matt Corral from Mississippi. I think he is a lot further off maybe than some of the other guys. And, and that's why teams might not want to take him. Like he was in an RPO lane Kiffin offense at, at, at Ole Miss and, you know, really quick release has some athletic ability. He's, he's a little bit small. Um, and so I think you worry about him holding up because you had the ankle injury in the bowl game, but I, I think he shows some of those high end traits that you need in the NFL. Now that really fit Matt Canada's offense too. So I, you know, I think they'll like him, but I do think like Malik Willis from Liberty has that upside when you have the, the movement skills and the arm, there's a lot you can do with that. If all things go well, uh, now he has to get a lot better decision-making and, and his, you know, accuracy holding the ball too long behind the line. You know, he, he, he 
played in a bad team, but it's not really an excuse when you're a high end quarterback. Like you should be able to make these plays happen. And there were a lot of games, Louisiana Monroe, where he didn't. Um, and, and then I think Kenny Pickett is is really safe. I think we know, especially here in Pittsburgh, what Kenny Pickett is and what he can do. I mean, his throws on the run are, are incredible. There's a lot of great things he did this season. I think he's going to be a good pro. So, like, I think if Willis or Pickett are there at 20, I think they they pull the trigger. It's looking more and more unlikely to just sit back and be able to get one of those players. And so I, I've actually started kind of leaning in on the Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati as the best fit and value at 20, where you have a player with a lot of experience, you know, two undefeated regular seasons at Cincinnati. He has, he's the most athletic quarterback that tested in this draft. Uh, so he's going to fit the offense. He's going to be able to do a lot of the rollouts, a lot of the uh, different play action concepts that I, I think Matt Canada wants to do. And, and you know, you sit him down and let him learn how to use get his footwork improved so he can improve his accuracy. That's kind of the one thing is he, he has some balls that just like, where, where are those going? And a lot of it, I think it's a technique issue. Just, you know, he, he gets, he gets under pressure a little bit. He freaks out a little bit. The footwork goes down. He can't throw the ball. I think those are things that are fixable. Whoever it is, I think a Mitch Trubisky signing makes it a pretty good pick because you do not have to play this player. You do not have to play them year one. You should, they, there's no quarterback in this class probably that should play week one, game one. Um, and I think that is what is going to be to the benefit of the Steelers versus maybe some other teams that might, like Carolina, that might pick a quarterback. So to boil you down, Chad, uh, there's enough mediocre quarterbacks in this draft that one should be available at 20. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, look, I think you and I are on the same page, Jim. Like, I don't know if any of these quarterbacks are going to be great, you know, um, but some have the traits maybe to get there if all these things line up perfectly. And that makes it, it makes it tricky and makes it scary, I think, to take one. Well, what about – First of all, uh, one of the one of the better known draft nicks yesterday did a mock, and he had the Steelers trading next year's one and this year's three to move up to twelve to draft Ritter. I just, oh my god, I, I, I'm okay. I, I've I've grown. I mean, I, Jeremy, I know is a big Ritter guy, and I've grown uh, to tell myself that it's okay if they take him at twenty, because I do like the fact that he did win at Cincinnati, played all those games, uh, is mobile, and seems nice. And being nice is huge for me. <laughs> so um, he's a nice guy. and uh, uh, But I, 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 there's no way I'm trading all that to move up for him. Now, uh, let me uh, – both you guys can answer this. Can they, can they just play with Trubisky and, and in this era of – $230 million guaranteed for one quarterback and $19 million guaranteed for a backup that you're not going to keep. Can you keep a guy like Trubisky and with a backup like Mason and draft better players all around him and try to win without the franchise quarterback, without someone that's taking up 30% of your salary cap? Why can't you try that? Because frankly, it's we're our guesses are as good as the NFL's. I don't see anybody making great uh, quarterback decisions over the past fifty years of the draft. Um, can can you get by without drafting a quarterback here? Because it just seems like they're just doing it just 
out of a, a, a perfunctory move. Like I personally, if it was me, I mean, I wouldn't draft any of these quarterbacks at 20. I, I wouldn't do it. I would rather, as you said, roll with Mitch Trubisky and see where you land next year, where they're going to be at least two franchise quarterbacks out there. And then if you want to give up the farm and go get one, I mean, give up the farm and go get one if you have to. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's the fear is, you know, what if you're not in a position in the next 10 years to draft a guy uh, that you feel like is good. If you like one of these quarterbacks and think they could be a franchise quarterback, like you can't pass on them either. And if I don't, I don't think any of these players are going to be hall of famers. I don't think any of them are going to, you know, be Ben Roethlisberger or be on that level of Phillip rivers or whatever. Uh, but you know, if, if they feel that way, then I understand having to make that move when you might not get that opportunity again, you don't know when that will kind of present itself. Um, but yeah, if it was me, I, I'm with you. I'd build a great team. I, I actually like Mitch Trubisky a lot more than the general public seems to and think he can be on a, the what We saw the Raiders give Derek Carr, you know, how much money? I don't think Mitch Trubisky's that much worse. Like, I don't think he's that much worse than Derek Carr. Derek Carr, you know, late in games is probably better. But like, I think Trubisky could be that with some time and with a good team. Like, why not? Why not do that? And if if it blows up and you're you're terrible and you have a top five pick, you know we 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 have the consistency in the coaching staff and the ownership. Like you're gonna make it up and you can get an actual quarterback that you like. I don't know. I, I would rather do that myself. Yeah, I mean, I could see them winning with Trubisky, no doubt. I think there's a strong enough team around him. But <laughs> drafting a quarterback to me is, is such an inexact science, and nobody really does particularly well at it. And that's where I think the, the importance of the organization comes into play, the, the support staff, the coaching, just the general quality of the organization. And if you look at these teams that are consistently drafting guys in the first round, your Cleveland Browns, which I'm sorry, they're a terrible franchise. Um, and they're typically bad teams to begin with. Pittsburgh's a different situation. They haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round since, since Roethlisberger. I think there's something to be said for the organization, the support that comes along with a franchise like the Steelers. So, you know, could one of these guys develop? We don't know. We can sit and forecast as much as we'd like, but I think there's something to be said about the organization that drafts the player. So I just was able to look up all the quarterbacks drafted by the Steelers. Now I love Kevin Colbert and he gave me a great interview for my next book. He told me about uh, how uh, his gravestone will say, I passed, T here lies the man who passed on Tom Brady for T. Martin. And, uh, you know, he told me, uh, you know, he lived, he, 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 he worked for Detroit. So he was very close to the Brady situation and um, scouted Brady, came back uh, from a, a Michigan game because – uh, if you recall, Brady had re-won his job from Drew Henson late in his senior year. It was like the Michigan coaches didn't really believe in Brady, and they wanted to give it to Drew Henson, highly recruited Drew Henson, and uh, Brady won it back. And so Colbert comes back, and his linebacker coach with the Lions, he asked um, Gary Moeller, who recruited Brady out of California to Michigan. He asked him, uh, 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 what do you think of uh, – Moeller asked Colbert, what'd you think of him? And Colbert said, average this, average that. And Colbert said, I, I gave him a bunch of average statements. And, uh, uh, and, and Colbert said, what did you think? And uh, Moeller said, you know, what you're saying is true, 
but I'm telling you, all this guy does is win. And Colbert said, I've thought about that ever since. Because, <laughs> of course, Colbert got hired by the Steelers before the next draft, and he had all that Michigan knowledge that he didn't use, and he drafted T. Martin. But these are the quarterbacks um, uh, Colbert has drafted. Mason Rudolph, I'm not as down on him as everybody in the world is. Josh Dobbs, Landry Jones, Dennis Dixon, Omar Jacobs, Ben Roethlisberger, Brian St. Pierre, and T. Martin. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And he hit on one. This is Kevin Colbert. I mean, he's, yeah. he's retiring with honors. He, but he does have 100% hit rate in the first round. So, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, that uh, he was fortunate to get that one. Um, and I will say that Kevin, and I know this for a fact, Kevin liked Ben, loved Ben even before the Shane Andrews talk got started by Russ Grimm, who was the new assistant head coach and who had Colt Cowher's ear for a few days. And it was leaked to the Tribune Review. And that's where the Shane Andrews story got, <clears throat> got some traction within the organization. Dan Rooney, Kevin says that Dan didn't get that from anyone inside other than they did like Sean Andrews. And there was talk about him, but he, he was – he was worried more about the newspaper article that had come out that they were going to draft Shane Andrews, Sean Andrews. And um, so that's where that all got started, that Dan Rooney changed minds. Uh, Kevin said that they had already discussed and had their, their minds changed. Uh, but Dan still gave his speech about passing on franchise quarterbacks, which kind of brings us around to picket. Um, you know, the Steelers passed on Marino and that was, that was uh, uh, Dan's main thrust of that argument was uh, I passed on Dan Marino and my father uh, cursed all of us until his dying day for passing on Marino. We had checked out uh, the claims of drug use, didn't find narcotics, just just a kid that liked to get around. I uh, had a lot of friends. I was, was a local kid. And, uh, and they drafted a defensive lineman as they did with Chuck Knowles' first pick. Chuck Knowles took Joe Green, and that's what he said in 83. Defense is what we started with. Let's go back to defense. So here we are looking at Pickett, maybe. Say you're looking at Pickett and, and Devon Wyatt, if I'm even saying that first name right. Do you go Pickett? Do you, do you change the Steeler way and, and take the pit quarterback over the defensive tackle this time? Yeah, I, I think Devontae Wyatt's – really really good um yeah. i i'm gonna have him rated higher on my board than kenny pickett like i think in terms of pure value like i think Devonte wyatt's better but I, I think the value of quarterback is that good i think you, you have to take that shot on pickett if he's sitting there at 20 you have a player that it has successful has the traits has the mobility i mean you know i think that's one thing with with pickett that's getting lost too is like he's a pretty mobile quarterback and his his workouts are really good I, you know, I, I think you buck the trend, take the pick quarterback. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you draft another quarterback in three years. And like, that sucks, but that that's going to have to be the way to find a future franchise quarterback. And uh, ultimately, you know, where you're going to have to sit. But, you know, if you're a gambler, you stick to your theory because in theory, you're going to have the odds going your way. So Gabe Rivera didn't work out over Dan Marino. Now you're going to switch your theory. You know, you just know Pickett's not going to work out then. 
So I, I'm, I, I thought Pickett most of the year was a late second round pick. Then he really did impress me. And then I started begrudgingly as with Desmond Ritter say, yeah, if he's at 20, I guess you take him. But I, Half of me wants to see Pittsburgh blow up if they pass on Kenny Pickett. Uh, the other half wants me to watch Wyatt develop as a defensive stud on that line. This is not a deep defensive line draft, is it, Chang? No, I, I think it's one of the positions where maybe the first two rounds are pretty good, but once you get past those two rounds, it's it's going to be a lot of backups, rotational players. And I think probably the – status of Stefan to will play into largely whether or not they're going to draft a defensive lineman uh, early on. Uh, but speaking of the second and third rounds, we've hit on the quarterback position a little bit. Let's say they do go quarterback at pick 20, whether that's Pickett or Ritter, where do they go in rounds two and three, Shane? I, I, th- I think there's a couple different directions. Um, you know, we talked defensive line. I think if you're going to go with a defensive lineman, you want to look in round two. Uh, as as I kind of just said, once you get past that, it gets a little bit tenuous um, to find a guy that can step in and start right away. Uh, you know, I think there's a couple players that could be available um, depending on the type of player that you want. I think if you're looking at that five technique, Perry on Winfrey from Oklahoma is really good, you know, pass rusher, great first step. I love the penetration that he gets. Um, had a really big senior bowl week, good workouts. Like he's kind of checked all the boxes. Uh, Oklahoma, they're awful at how they use their offensive players. I mean, they do not play to their strengths. And so there's a lot of Oklahoma players in this draft. Like these guys are good and they just did not use them well. He's one along with Fidarian Mathis from Alabama, who doesn't quite have the pass rush upside but is a little bit better uh, setting the edge against the run. And so I think both those players could step into a five-tech starting position. Um, I'm a really big fan uh, of Travis Jones from UConn. Might be a late first, early second round pick, um, but there's a chance he falls down. He's more of a nose tackle type with penetration ability. Um, so I think that's a possibility. And then, and then I think the secondary, right? I mean, corner, safety, we'll see what they do. If, if there's um, an addressing of safety, in the next couple of weeks or after the draft uh, in free agency, once the compensatory formulas out the window and it makes a little more sense to sign somebody, but this is a deep safety class. I think around three, uh, I've been kind of banging the table a little bit for Quentin Lake, uh, son of former Steeler Carnell Lake uh, from UCLA, who I think would perfectly fit that strong safety role next to Minka Fitzpatrick. Really good in the box safety with some good coverage ability, a uh, tough, you know, he's physical. He's not going to, down uh pretty good tackling technique like i think he's a little bit underrated um so i like him but i think there are players with some athletic upside kirby joseph from illinois nick cross from maryland in that second to third round range then um you know i'll mention receiver i think they're going to take a receiver fairly early in this draft between the second and fourth round um you know it's tough to peg the type because they you know, the Steelers, I don't think, have a single type of receiver. I mean, we've seen from Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster to, to Deontay Johnson. It's kind of a little over the map. Um, so, you know, I think Danny Gray from SMU is a player I've been mocking them a lot that I think has some similarities to Deontay Johnson, depending on how they feel about that specific role, uh, who has some special teams ability, really good off the line, quick first step. Uh, I think he could be a good fit. You know, if they want a, a big kind of upside player, um, Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, you know, especially if you take Desmond Ritter in the first round, we've seen some teams lately be pairing up these college teammates. Um, you know, Pierce is one of those maddening players to watch. Who's like super big athletic. I mean, you can see him beat 
Alabama corners and then he just drops a pass. You know, he just has some of these focus issues, but that, you know, it's a lot to like with him. So I, I think there's, there's going to be some areas to go that you can get a more best player available at these kind of group of positions, a corner safety receiver, defensive line, offensive line, and, and make it happen in the second day. I want to uh, kind of redirect this question to Jim here. Cause we were talking about strong safety. Obviously the Steelers haven't filled that need there. There's a vacancy for a starting spot. We've heard uh, Tyron Matthew being uh, rumored to the team. There was confirmation that Tomlin and the honey badger did speak over the phone, but then there's still Terrell Edmonds, hanging out there. Jim, do you see them signing a strong safety before the draft, or do you think that they're going to go in getting their starter um, from this year's draft? Hey, maybe they did sign their safety when they signed Carl Joseph. It makes you wonder, it makes you wonder what do they think they have? Do, do they, do they want to use Norwood there? Norwood, uh, you know, is a free safety in theory. And uh to tell you the truth, Minka could be a strong safety. He could be that playmaker that they want, that Carnell Lake, Troy Polamalu. It's kind of what they wanted to start last season. They thought Norwood would step right in. Uh, I don't – I can't say I'm a fan. Uh, I was a fan of Carl Joseph, but nobody else seems to be a fan of Carl's. Uh, so they have two guys. It makes you wonder if they're looking at someone in the draft like maybe – someone's son's roommate that they know about that ran a four three at the combine Nick cross from Maryland, yeah. you know, Tomlin's roommate. Does, does Tomlin say, you know, we can get that guy in the third round. Just stop worrying. It it was, it's almost like last year with Kendrick green that they, they could wait on the center because they had this guy in their back pocket. And I remember our people loved, I think Shane, I, I don't, I know we, you know, we have three uh, draft experts I know at least two of them loved Kendrick Green. Shane, you're probably one of them. Yep. And I'm not down on, on Kendrick yet either, but it seemed like that they knew that they could get him in the third round and they could pass on an important position. So I, I it, it almost has the same feel this year, that either they know they can sign Edmonds or that they like Norwood or they like Joseph more than we realize. Because they're just totally ignoring the, the, the opening there. And maybe they'll tell you, hey, it's not open. We like Norwood. So I don't know. Uh, Shane, is Nick Cross, you know, who roommate uh, roomy with Dino Tomlin at Maryland, is he that guy in the hip pocket for the third I, round? I think he could be. Like, I think that would make a lot of sense for them just to, like you said, do what they did with Kendrick Green. I mean, Cross is – I think he's one of those players, like, when I look at it now, I'm like, I oh, could go higher than that. But I felt that way with Green, too, right? You kind of like a guy, you think he's going to go higher, but NFL teams aren't. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the, the 4 3 four forty, and, like, his his broad jump was, you know, almost almost 11 feet was one of the best for safety ever. Like, almost. Almost as good as Jordan Davis is the 340 pound. <laughs> well, look, look, we can't all be Jordan Davis, 341, just uh, <laughs> jumping there. Uh, but, you know, 10, 10 feet, 10 inches, not 95 percentile yeah. ever at safety. Like it, it's, you know, he's just such an athletic player. I think he's raw. And I think that, that's why you get those guys in the third round. That's the problem. I think, you know, is Dick Cross ready to step in and, and play every snap? I don't think so. Um, but that's that's kind of the question. Well, talk to me just just uh, quickly about Kyle Hamilton. Runs a four five nine. I don't want anybody at four five nine in the first round. So, is that why nobody's talking about him anymore? Because I didn't watch him play. 
like that is why I think people are worried, right? Why, you know, he's not a top five pick, a top 10 pick. I mean, you watch him play, you know, he's, he's 220 pounds. He's one of the biggest safeties ever. So the four, five, nine by itself, you know, in a, in a phone booth looks, doesn't look great. But when you put that weight to it, he's pretty good. And when you watch him, I mean, he has that range. He has that range to go after the football. They let him kind of do, like you said, that, that Troy Polamalu role of like run around and just make plays. And that's what he was able to do, making interceptions, making big hits um, with, with the size and speed that he brought to the table. Like he is explosive. I think he gets up to top speed a lot faster than most safeties I've ever seen. So I think the four five nine is a little bit dismissive. But yeah, if you're picking fifth overall, like you can't you can't take him anymore. You just can't do that and take that risk. But you, you want speed on your field. I mean, Carnell Lake may have been in the four threes. I can't remember. I just put it in the book. Uh, he was at least four, four, and he was a linebacker who eventually played cornerback at a high, at a pro bowl level. Uh, Troy Polamalu's uh, one of his big days was he was man up with uh, Terrell Owens in 2004 in the slot. Shut him down. Troy could have played corner if he had to, the way Carnell had to. Uh, four, five, nine. I don't know. You know, might as well bring Joe Hayden back, but um, yeah, okay. That's just my 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 thing on Kyle Hamilton. I, I people want to trade up for him to fill that spot. I I don't I don't trade up for a four six guy. But anyway, and I'm then, sorry, Jeremy. No, all good. <laughs> good conversation. Shifting gears then to day three rounds four, five, six, and seven is when you really get into those sleeper picks. Guys who maybe have big time traits but are inconsistent, don't have a lot of experience. Shane. Any players from small schools or under the radar guys who the Steelers could be targeting that could maybe make an impact in year one? I think there's some small school corners on that third day that could be really intriguing. Um, Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State and Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State. Uh, McCollum had top-notch workouts, uh, solid senior bowl week, like really physical at the line of scrimmage, but still has that kind of length and speed. That's really good. I think fourth, fifth round. And uh, Joshua Williams, Fayetteville State, uh, very small school. Um, obviously, he was dominant in his level of competition, but he's another player who has you know, some of those traits to be able to jam at the line, um, to be a pretty good tackler, like that you you want you could develop. So I think if if corner doesn't get addressed early, this this could be a depth pick for that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some other small school players that I like a lot. Like my one of my personal favorites is Pierre Strong, the running back out of South Dakota State. I, th- I think he's going to be an excellent NFL player and one of the better running backs from this class, just really explosive and catch the football should be a good worst case, you know, number two change of pace running back. Um, and then two guys, I think might be like seventh round undrafted types that I, I like the raw traits. Benton Whitley is a, he'd be an outside linebacker from Holy cross pass rusher edge guy who, you know, just really has some nice lower body strength can drive in the run game. Uh, I like how he sets the edge. And shows a little bit of pass rushing prowess there. And then uh, Jason Poe from Mercer is an offensive guard who I think would fit that Steeler mold uh, where you're trying to get some more physical players. Like he's a really physical player, not the fastest, not the you know most athletic, um, but, you know, had, had some good workouts, maybe flash some athletic upside. And I like those kind of players in the seventh. Like, okay, maybe he didn't play up to those numbers, but can we get him to play up to those numbers uh, from Mercer College? I think Jason Poe is an interesting guy. So I think there are – this is actually a pretty good small school kind of sleeper class um, because almost all of them went back to school 
with the extra COVID year. Uh, and some of them didn't even play last, you know, in 2020. So we, we have a lot of those players that would have come out in 2021 uh, up in this class. Holy cross. Are you old enough to remember Gordy Lockbaum? I, I am not. So. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm the oldest. Well, you don't remember, do you, Jeremy? Yeah. Gordy Lockbaum was a Heisman candidate because he did a hundred different things for Holy Cross. And uh, he, he was with the Steelers, I'm pretty sure. But uh, the, the other guy out of Holy Cross is Ray Fittipaldo, who went on to a fine writing career with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. <laughs> he was an offensive lineman at Holy Cross. So, anyway, that's my contribution on that. Those are my <laughs> late rounders. Gordy Lockbaum <laughs> and Ray Fittipaldo. There you go. That's the duo. So, Shane, qu- uh, questions about two guys that I did, did a little bit of homework on later round, guys. Dejean Dixon out of Nickel State. Big-bodied receiver, not a lot of speed, but combat catch hero. And then Devin Tompkins out of Utah State, super fast guy, can contribute in a return game. You done any homework on those two gentlemen? And is there any possibility you see them landing with the Steelers in the later rounds? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's always a possibility. I, I like Dejon Dixon. I think he is a really good possession type receiver um, who, you know, I like those long arms and he uses them well. Like he gets off the line really well. Um, you you saw early in the season, some of those early games with him where they try to kind of jam him. Teams just stop trying because he would beat them, you know, be with physicality. Um, so I think he's an intriguing, you know, reserve receiver. I think Tompkins is definitely that kind of special teams type. I mean, he is really small. Uh, that's that's the downside. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as a return guy, and we saw Raymond McLeod have a little bit of success last year at times. I don't think it's a bad shot to take. And the seventh round undrafted free agency to grab a guy that is, you know, four, four speed, really explosive could be a return man. And, uh, you know, maybe give you a little bit of uh, on the field sometimes. So, but I, I like Dixon a lot. I think he, it's, it's a deep receiver class. I think he has a shot to get drafted, um, but he'll be kind of on the line there. Mm-hmm. And then kind of wrapping things up here. Um, two more questions. I, I just looked up Gordy Lockbaum. Ninth, ninth round pick, 1988. So come on, you guys have to be somewhat. Shane, you have to remember Gordy Lockman. Right? I was two. I was two years old, Jim. I think I, really. <laughs> you gray in your beard like I do, so I thought you were 100 like me. Yeah, seven. I was seven, seven years old. I remember I was. I knew all those late round guys. This little back is two years ago, before COVID came around. I started writing more books, uh, but uh, I remember I was uh, Myron. I was working with Myron during the draft and he kept asking me about a tight end out of East Arkansas state. And I'm like, Myron, I don't know that guy. I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, yeah, you do. Everybody knows him. And uh, uh, Myron was drinking that day and uh, (laughs) he kept bringing it up and bringing it up. And I kept saying, I don't know him. And he later he goes, confound you, Wexel. This is during a break. I'm trying to make you look bad, but you won't look bad. I'm trying to make a guy up to see if you, you draft expert will say, yeah, I know him. He's okay. But so congratulations to you. And I apologize. Uh, I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, and Myron announced his retirement uh, the next week. And uh, he said, uh, Joe Gordon, uh, the former, you know, he, Joe Gordon did what Burt Loughton's doing now, the media, the head of media personnel, uh, media relations. Joe Gordon had called Myron up and said, 
you told me to call you when it's time to retire. That last performance, it's time, Myron. And Myron admitted all this, but I mean, he didn't admit he was drinking on the air, but uh, I could see it. I, I was like the target of, I don't know, <laughs> but I was, I did Myron's last show with him. And that was so bad that he was asked to retire by Joe Gordon. So there's your Myron Cope story for the day. Love it. I love you still. I love Myron still. Myron, Myron helped me out a lot to trust me. Uh, and he was a great writer and he would, he would critique my writing at times and, and give me tips. Uh, so that wasn't his finest day. It wasn't my finest day. And so, uh, but when Shane was going through all those guys that I had never heard of, I thought like, I should do what Myron did. <laughs> what about East Arkansas State? <laughs> Love that voice. That was uh that voice is definitely synonymous with Pittsburgh. Um what, so it, Gordy Gordy Lockbaum. His his book was uh what was it, Double Yoy that was published? It was back in the early 2000s. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I remember reading that and um yeah, he's he was special. You know, you know, it's crazy. Is it my grandmother used to sound like Myron Cope? God rest her soul. She's no longer here. She sounds exactly like Myron Cope. <laughs> How was my invitation? Was it okay? It's good. Okay. You have like a seven. Okay. That's pretty good. That's I'll take it. All right. Let's uh let's bring this home here. Um and we could just let's take this in any direction that you want to take it. Final thoughts on this year's draft for the Steelers. I, look, I, I think it's I think it's an important draft um, as they all are, but uh, I, I'm just interested to see what Kevin Colbert and, and company what you know what they decide to do in this this last draft for him passing the torch, whatever ends up happening with the new GM. Like, is is it going to be focused on getting that quarterback and focused on kind of well into the future, you know, or is the, I think it should be a team that feels like they can compete this year. Um, you know, so I think the second day is going to be telling as to what direction the brass really feels about the Steelers. Like, is this a team that you can kind of patch back up, get the quarterback for the future and where all systems go compete this, this season, or do they really see this as a bridge year? Um, I think we're going to get to really learn that in the draft. Jim. Yeah. Um, you know, they could draft pretty much any position and I would have no problem. I really, I mean, I'm down on the quarterbacks, but it's something you have to swallow hard and do every 18 years. <laughs> so uh, they've met them all, and I, I really won't quibble with somebody they've come up with because they've, they've put in the work. Even uh, this um, the guy from Nevada that they just had in as a visitor. Carson Strong. He has a strong arm. He's, he's the old classic pocket quarterback. <laughs> And all the talk they did about wanting mobility kind of throws him out, but I kind of like him a little bit as long as his knee's okay. And that's probably what they're going to take a look at too. Um, but I, I, I don't see them drafting a running back. Uh, I don't see them drafting one in the fourth round, even though a lot of people want an upgrade from Benny Snell. I just, I, I see them riding with Benny Snell and maybe even McFarland or I, Pierre Strong. He intrigues me from South Dakota State. I don't think we've had a South Dakota Stater in here. But uh, it could go any, any even, even tight end in, for me. I, I know a lot of people like Gentry, and he's shown a lot more, but uh, I wouldn't mind having two really, really good tight ends available. Um, otherwise, uh, 
I, I have no qualms which position they go. Well, it's definitely exciting times. And again, 14 days away from the first round, and we get to find out who the new Pittsburgh Steelers will be. And that's going to do it for episode number 27 of the Still City Insider podcast. Shane, you want to take a moment to plug your work and give the listeners your Twitter handle? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, you can check me out over at draftcountdown.com. I'll have a seven-round mock draft coming out on Monday. So that's usually what people are interested in seeing and, and reading. Um, you can check that out. You can follow me on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. And as always, you know, over at uh, the Steel City Insider, be uh, finishing up the draft series with Jim there. Awesome. And you know where to find Jim. And you can give Jim a follow on Twitter at Jim Wexel. There's no underscore in there, right, Jim? It's just Jim Wexel. Yeah, Jim Wexel. Um, also, uh, subscribe to this, this podcast. Uh, I know subscribing isn't as easy as it used to be where there was a subscribe button. I think you have to look around for it and it doesn't cost anything. Don't let the word fool you. You're not going to get charged. It just helps our algorithm show up better on your YouTube feeds. So subscribe to this. That's all I would recommend. And Shane, thank you so much. I, I tell you what, Shane. I love when your stuff comes in. I, I, you know, I know I, I write to Roy. I say, Roy, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this. I, Roy's a young writer. And I, I like to take young writers under my wing and probably give them too much free advice that they don't really want to hear. <laughs> Man, Shane, I, I appreciate your work. Uh, it's just like, oh, I can sleep in a little bit. It's Shane's. I don't have to put any much, much work into it. So I appreciate your polish. No, no, it's a high compliment. I appreciate you bringing me on, man. It's it's been a ton of fun working with you and working with Roy. So it's it's, it's been great. Yeah, and, awesome. and Roy's stuff's good too. I'm I'm I, he's just a young guy that I feel like, hey, you know, sometimes you feel it's your purpose to help young writers. You, I thought you were old. Now I find out you're only. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, now now you're gonna start giving me advice now. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, listeners, we appreciate your support. We will be back again soon with episode number 28 of the Still City Insider podcast. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. Take care, everyone.